from WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. On the show today, we dive into the state of the economy. We hear about the financial impact of last summer's record-breaking heat and deadly wildfires. Then we hear why job hirings and household incomes are on the rise in the capital region. But first... Last Thursday, the East Baton Rouge Parish School Board voted to reject rehiring Superintendent Cito Narcisse for another four years. Many are pointing to Narcisse's proposed contract to give himself a new generous salary as one of the main reasons. Charles Lassier has been covering this for the Baton Rouge Advocate and joins us now for more. Charles, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. One year ago, East Baton Rouge Parish voters elected six new members to the school board. Can you describe Narcisse's relationship with these members and how that led up to this dramatic vote last Thursday? Well, it's been a bit of a question mark. A couple of the board members he clearly knew and seemed to be cultivating good relationships with. Uh, I have a story today where you know, Cliff Lewis talks about he ran in part because of Narcisse. But, you know, the worm turned over the course of this year with some of them. And I think some other ones were more skeptical of him from the get go. Almost every incumbent lost last year. It was not a great mood for the electorate. And, you know, it's not clear to me that Narcisse uh, adjusted accordingly. What exactly were the main reasons that board members gave for rejecting Narcisse? And, and when the public spoke, what were their concerns about the school leader? So the board members who spoke talked more about how the district is right now. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about low employee morale. You know, some people talked about there was maybe a culture of retaliation if people spoke out. There was, you know, disorganization that the people, the class schools aren't functioning as well as they should and a little more chaotic operations. Uh, You know, some of these board members have also been upset about kind of the financial status of the district. Uh, I think at Root, it was a lot about control. Like, you know, they these folks came in with ideas of their own, and I think they've been frustrated trying to moving on their priorities. You know, Narcisse had a fairly developed set of ideas and initiatives and is very uh, keen on pursuing his own way on these things. And uh, there was a clash, you know. Yeah. Now, you've described Narcisse as at times controversial. Why is that? Aside from... For the, in this particular instance, advocating for his, his uh, salary increase, what else has he done to stir up controversy? Well, it's peculiar. You know, he, he embraces himself as a change agent. And when things get a little rough, he's like, well, this is just the price of change. He, you know, he he's done a lot of it is, is the way he does things. He kind of springs things on people. So the first like two months in, he decided that everyone was going to be starting school two months, two weeks early. And people have made plans and teachers that are, you know, and it was a rough year, COVID, all the rest. And he ended up having to back off of that after several public meetings. And he took a lot of grief. And that that didn't help him. Like, it, that kind of set his tone with the public in a lot of ways. And he's had a series of these where he kind of puts things out there before they, you know, have been through the boards. So they've been through other people. He likes to move. You know, he's not a sit still kind of guy. And that has you know, gotten him some grief over the years. Uh, he had this day of hope thing about a year ago um, at a church. Or, you know, kids kind of proselytized. There's some litigation going on. Um, there was a whole lot of stuff that went on with that. There's been a number of 
things that have happened uh, that rile people up. And the latest was this school bus crisis where he didn't, you know, people were wanted a permanent pay raise and he may, you know, there was a whole lot of crossfire during that. Well, what happens next with him? Is there, is there a chance, for instance, of renegotiations or, or will the board start looking for a new superintendent? Uh-huh. I would say right now, based upon what we saw on Thursday, it's looking pretty doubtful he can come back from this. The board members who came out, they had the opportunity to do something less to say, okay, well, this isn't, let's try again. They didn't. They, you know, he had five board members who said renew. And, you know, I don't know if his four is as solid as he'd like either. So, uh, you know, he's pushing it if he comes back. He may, he may, well, you know, this was a fairly generous contract and he went with it. Um, I'm sure he feels that this is what should happen, but, you know, it's I, unless he takes a very major course adjustment and really works the room there, I, you know, it's hard to see him come back. As far as what happens next, if he's not there, I mean, they're going to have to look for someone else. Uh, I'm here talking of trying to find an interim. If find an interim, they'd have to buy him out. And I don't know if he wants to be bought out. So that's going to be a whole nother discussion. And then there'll be a search. I mean, we got we got a lot of looking and talking coming up. Charles Lassier, reporter for the Baton Rouge Advocate. Charles, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. According to a report from the LSU Ag Center, Louisiana's agriculture and forests suffered $1.6 billion worth of damage due to drought and excessive heat this past summer. The long months of record high temperatures and little rain not only impacted crop yield, but also led to animal health problems. And of course, we also dealt with wildfires and the threat of saltwater intrusion. For more on this report and its findings, we're joined by two of its authors, economist Kurt Guidry and Forrester Robbie Hutchins. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Now, now Kurt, Louisiana is no stranger to dry summers. What made this one so different that it caused so much damage? I think what's different for this one particularly is there's really not a commodity in the state or a location within the state that didn't have some degree of drought conditions and certainly a degree of having to deal with extremely high temperatures. So when you look at the uh, coverage, if you will, of, of this particular natural disaster event, it was it was much broader uh, than maybe we see with some of our other natural disasters. And then the other thing is the the longevity, the duration of the drought and the excessive heat. Kurt, could you tell us about this damage survey that you created? Who did you send it to? What kinds of questions did you ask and, and what was the response? We have agents and faculty members in nearly every parish of the state. Uh, those agent, that, that survey is sent to those agents. Uh, those agents will go and collect their information that they need to answer those surveys. Uh, we're looking for things like physical impacts. What are the the actual reductions that we're seeing because of the drought or the heat? So we're looking for things like acres impacted. We're looking for estimated yield losses, production losses. We're looking for things like livestock producers having to sell cattle. Uh, what what percent of their herds they're having to sell? That information is what forms the basis for our our economic damage assessment. What did you find as as these surveys were coming back? You know, some commodities are a little bit more impacted than other commodities, uh, and that's predominantly a function of when that commodity, when its production season is relative to where we had the biggest 
impacts from the drought and the heat. So, for example, uh, when you look at corn production, corn production is is typically earlier in the year, uh, May, June, July. By July, 1st of August, basically that corn harvest is over with. Uh, soybeans has a little bit longer, so their their production cycle is typically some, somewhere in between in April and May is when they har- plant those crops. Uh, they'll start harvesting those crops in, in the end of August into September and into October. And so we have uh, a larger portion of uh, those uh, of soybean of its production cycle happening uh, when we got into July and August when we really had uh, really, really dry days and really, really hot temperatures. And what we even found in the case of soybeans, for example, was that even on irrigated soybean ground, even where we irrigated soybeans, try to mitigate the impacts of the drought conditions, um, we still saw substantial yield loss. Now, Robbie, you were in the field gathering data on the damage. One thing you looked at was timber stands. Can you tell us a bit about that, what you found and how that helped you understand this damage and how exactly did you convert the damage you see into economic losses? We went out into the field, myself and the other ag center forestry agents went out into the field and we we physically looked at different timber stands and we also talked to uh, forest landowners and forestry consultants that manage large acreages for forest landowners to determine exactly what kind of damages were going on out there and the extent of the damage and what we found was absolutely incredible trees are planted typically in January and February seedlings are, are planted back on sites that were harvested. And for the sites that were planted in 2023 in January and February, many of our forestry, uh, our forest landowners had, have experienced uh, 70% of those seedlings uh, dying because of the excessive drought and the excessive heat. One thing to note is that Louisiana's forest landowners don't have crop insurance like traditional crop producers. Can you tell us why why this is and, and why it's such a big problem? You're right, Karen. Our, our forest uh, landowners do not have access to crop insurance. And one of the reasons for that is just simply the length of the rotation of the crop. I mean, by the, when you plant a, 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 a timber stand with, with seedlings, Typically, uh, there is a 25 to 30 year time frame and, and commitment involved from the time you plant those seedlings till you get to the final harvest. And so because of that, forest landowners are at a higher risk profile, I guess you would say, in the insurance end of things. Because, you know, if you have to have a crop out there for 25 to 30 years, you know, Louisiana is notorious for disasters like hurricanes, um, uh, tropical storms, floods, things like that. And so just the cost of that would be completely prohibitive for forest landowners. We're speaking with the LSU Ag Center's economist Kurt Guidry and Forrester Robbie Hutchins about their recent report on the state's economic losses due to the summer's excessive heat and drought. Kurt, I want to go into some more of your findings. How did these conditions impact the health of animals? And what exactly does this mean? Tell us more uh, about what this has meant for farmers. 
beef cattle production dominates our livestock sector in terms of numbers. And from their perspective, uh, we had significant impacts. Um, one uh, certainly was just animal deaths. Uh, we, we did have a, a large number of animal deaths, and, and that's predominantly a function of the excessive heat. Certainly, uh, droughts reduced the amount of forage available for our livestock. So we saw quite a bit of herd liquidation, selling adult females uh, to reduce the number of animals they were trying to feed with the land resources that they did have. But then the longer and the bigger impact is the long-term impact. Selling cattle or selling mature females today means you're going to have less animals, less production in 2024 and, and into the future. In our dairy industry, reduced milk production. Um, and, and the other, and probably the biggest impact for all of this is the increased costs associated with reduced forage production. If you're going to keep the same number of cattle, same number of livestock, you've got lot less grass out there for that livestock to, for, to, to eat, you're going to have to supplement it. And so going out and purchasing predominantly hay to supplement that uh, was is a tremendous increase in costs. Now, you also looked at uh, damage to the crawfish industry. You wrote uh, it took a, a big economic hit. Tell us about this industry, how it was an Im- impacted, especially because summer's the harvest season. In the case of crawfish, we're really just starting the production year now. Um, so our projections are based on research that has been conducted here at the LSU Ag Center and or just historical experiences from our our crawfish production specialists to say that when we have really hot, when we have really dry conditions in the summer and early fall, that has historically been correlated to much lower crawfish production when we get into January, February, March, April of the next year. The projection is that we're going to have much lower crawfish populations when we start uh, this production season. Not only will we see crawfish probably lower total production, but we'll probably see crawfish production be a little later this year uh, than, than maybe we've seen in some other years. This report offers some pretty dismal information, but what about calls to action? Is there anything that can be done to not only financially assist some of the farmers, but also restore the forest, for example? So there are some cost share programs out there that are available to forest landowners. One of those that is a program administered through the Louisiana Department of Agriculture and Forestry is called the Forest Productivity Program. The Forest Productivity Program is funded through the severance taxes that are collected from timber harvest. Another thing that forest landowners need to be mindful of is that they can claim a casualty loss on their on their income taxes if they experience the loss. Yeah, certainly for for agriculture production, um, <clears throat> there are several programs that 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 are available that are triggered uh, when a parish is designated a disaster area. It does trigger uh, some uh, emergency low interest loans to producers. For our livestock producers, there are some uh, permanent disasters assistance programs through USDA. Uh, one being the livestock indemnity program, which pays producers for livestock that died as a direct relation to a natural disaster. And then there's a livestock forage uh, that does pay producers a per acre uh, payment based on reduced forage production uh, due to drought conditions. And, and that 
gets triggered automatically by uh, a natural uh, national drought monitor index value that comes out and puts out by USDA. Uh, we're also working with our congressional delegation and and folks like Louisiana Farm Bureau try to see if the if additional assistance can be made available to our producers and to our landlord landowners. And this 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 report is really the first part in trying to get some additional assistance. LSU Ag Center's economist Kurt Guidry and forester Robbie Hutchins, thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Kieran Henderson. The Baton Rouge Area Chamber just released its 2024 Economic Outlook Report. It highlights record-breaking numbers in terms of jobs, household incomes, population, and higher education enrollment. But it also finds the region struggles to keep young workers from leaving. With more on that report and what its findings might mean, Brack Senior Vice President of Business Intelligence, Andrew Fitzgerald, joins us now. Andrew, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Karen. Let's start with the area BRAC represents. For those who don't know, it is a nine-parish region. That's right. It's a East Baton Rouge Parish and then the surrounding eight parishes. Uh, occasionally, some of the data we look at is for the Baton Rouge Metropolitan, Metropolitan Statistical Area, which is defined by the federal government. That'd be a 10-parish area that also includes Assumption. All righty. Well, your mission is to advance economic development so it makes sense that you you get a regular pulse on where things stand, where they're headed. Tell us about this latest report. What were the objectives and, and how was it conducted? So every year we do an annual economic outlook to kind of look back at the year that was uh, involving any data available. And then we also try to read the tea leaves for what's going to happen in the year to come. Uh, this year, the big takeaway is that the regional economy is absolutely booming. Uh, but as you intimated in the beginning, at the same time, that's not necessarily translated into a population boom, as our population has been relatively stagnant for the last two years. Well, let's dive into some of the numbers on the survey. Let's start with jobs and, and wages. What did businesses that participated in this survey say they expect for 2024? So that was a, one of the really positive findings is that local and regional businesses were very optimistic. Um, well over half believed that they were going to see increased revenues in 2024. And just about half thought they were going to increase their headcount uh, next year as well. And really for the third or so that thought they were going to stay at the same headcount, that was likely due to a lack of available talent, not the uh, unwillingness to hire. All right. So the businesses are expecting more business, more money coming in. So I'm guessing that will mean higher wages. Is that what you found in the survey? That's what we found uh, with all available data in that 20, 2023 saw the most wages ever paid in the capital region. Uh, we also saw median household income. So those middle class earnings were higher than ever as well. Uh, catching up to our peer metro areas, growing faster than the national average and well above the statewide median, median household income. I know the survey did also address the, the challenges. What struggles are businesses still facing? Talent seems to be the number one issue. Uh, that's also come up as the number one issue nationally in survey data. And it's because we're in such a tight labor market. We have the lowest, one of the lowest unemployment rates on record, both as a state and a region. And what that means, it's a great time to be a job seeker because there aren't many job seekers out there. Almost everyone that's looking to work already has a job. So that talent remains the number one issue. And with a shortage of supply of labor, 
that drives up when high demand that drives up the cost. So it's a good time to be looking for a job, a good time to be an employee, tougher time to be ma management trying to hire in this very tight labor market. You know, for the last uh, several years, we've been comparing our economic pulse with what we were pre-pandemic, pre-COVID. Does it appear the region's recovered? We have. We have more than recovered our pre-COVID job count. Incomes are above what they were pre-COVID. We have more people at work. Things are really going well from an economic standpoint. Uh, but at the same time, COVID saw a population growth slow to a trickle. And that population growth is the one thing that hasn't recovered. We're speaking with Andrew Fitzgerald, Senior Vice President of Business Intelligence for the Baton Rouge Area Chamber, about BRAC's 2024 economic outlook. Now, Andrew, it's mostly optimistic looking toward 2024, except for out-migration. People are leaving the region, especially young people. Who's leaving and why? Yeah, so we looked, and for the first time since 2018, uh, the capital region had net negative migration, more people moving out, about 57,000 people, than moving in, which was about 53,000 people. Now, 53,000 people moving in is, is a really good number, but we haven't done a great job retaining people. And in particular, we looked at the 25 to 44-year-old age cohort, because that's a really good kind of target prime working age, 25 to 44-year-olds. That's the talent the businesses are looking for. And we saw about a net negative 3,300 person uh, migration. So 3,300 more young people left than moved in. That is makes up almost all our net negative migration. So that's the cohort we're losing is those prime age workers. I know Brack's planning to launch a campaign next year to, to recruit young professionals to Baton Rouge. What will that look like? So we're working with a local firm, uh, 368, to develop a strategy to sort of take Baton Rouge and all the things that people enjoy about it here, figure out what would appeal to people across the country that meet profiles that would consider moving to Baton Rouge, and then effectively market the community to them, and to, just to demonstrate that this is a really unique place to live, work, and play. Are there any other items of note from Breck's 2024 Economic Outlook Report? Yeah, I think it's important to highlight the contributions of the construction industry to this economic boom that I've mentioned. Over the last year, the construction sector has grown by 20% in terms of job headcount, which means one out of every six construction jobs that we have did not exist a year ago. This is 10,000 plus jobs we had in a single year in a sector that pays very, very high wages because of the demand for industrial construction workers, about 80,000 uh, dollars a year in average annual earnings. So that sector in and of itself is fairly unique to Louisiana and really the capital region in particular. And as we have $17.8 billion of potential industrial construction projects set to potentially announce next year, we believe this sector that's normally cyclical uh, could extend its long successful run that we've seen over the last 12 months or so. So I would look forward to a longer-term construction job growth and the demand for construction labor to uh, really stay strong throughout the next two, three, four years. Andrew Fitzgerald, the Senior Vice President of Business Intelligence for the Batmers Area Chamber. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. 
From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. Thanks to our guests, reporter for the Baton Rouge Advocate, Charles LeSeer, LSU Ag Center economist, Kurt Guidry, and Forrester Robbie Hutchins, and Senior Vice President of Business Intelligence for BRAC, Andrew Fitzgerald. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our assistant producer is Aubrey Procell. Our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from the Historic New Orleans Collection.